Chapter Thirteen of Twentieth Century Inventions: A Forecast. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Graymore. Twentieth Century Inventions: A Forecast by George Sutherland. Chapter Thirteen: Art and News. The production of pictures for the million will be practically the highest achievement of the graphic art in the twentieth century. Many eminent painters do not at all relish the prospect, being strongly of the opinion that when every branch of art becomes popular, it will be vulgarized. This notion arises from a fallacy which has affected ideas during the nineteenth century in many matters besides art, the mistake of supposing that vulgar people all belong to one grade of society. Yet everyone who knows modern England, for instance, is perfectly aware that the highest standard of taste is only to be found in the elect of all classes of society. After the experience of the eighteenth century, surely it ought to have been recognized that the upper ten thousand, when left to develop vulgarity in its true essence, can attain to a degree of perfection hardly possible in any other social grade. Is there in the whole range of pictorial art anything more irredeemably vulgar than a state portrait by Sir Thomas Lawrence or one of his imitators. It was under the prompting of a dread of the process of popularizing art that so many eminent painters of the nineteenth century protested against the fashion set by Sir J. E. Malaise when he sold such pictures as Cherry Ripe and Bubbles, knowing they were intended for reproduction in very large numbers by mechanical means. From a somewhat similar motive, a few of the leading artists of the nineteenth century, for a time, stood aloof from the movement for familiarizing the people with at least the form, if not the coloring, of each notable picture of the year. From small and very unpretentious beginnings, the published pictorial notes of the Royal Academy and other exhibitions of the year have risen to most imposing proportions, and already there is some talk of attempting a few of the best from each year's production in colors. Half-tone Zinco and similar processes have brought down the expenses entailed by reproductions in color work so as to render an undertaking of this kind much more feasible than it was in the middle of the last half-century. Cherry Ripe cost five thousand pounds to reproduce by the laborious processes of printing not only each color but almost every different shade of each color from a different surface. In the three-color Zinco process, of reproduction, only three printings are acquired, each color with all its delicate gradations of shade being fully provided for by a single engraved block. When machines of great precision have been finally perfected, for admitting of the successive blocks being printed from, on paper run from real without any handling, a revolution will be brought about not only in artistic printing, but even in the conditions of studio work upon which the artist depends for success. First, the pictorial notes of the year will be brought out in color, and as competition for the right of reproduction increases, the artists who have painted the most suitable and most popular pictures will find that they can get more remuneration for copyright than they can for the pictures themselves. This has already been the case in regard to a very limited number of pictures, but the exception of the past will be the rule of the future, at least as regards those pictures which possess any special merits at all. More thought will therefore be required as the motive or basis of each subject, and historical pictures will come more into favor, the affected simplicity and mental emptiness 
of the plain air school being discarded in favor of a style which shall speak more directly to the people and stir more deeply both their mental and their emotional natures the artist and the printer must then confer they can no longer afford to work in the future with such disregard of each other's ideas and methods as they have done in the past it was at one time the custom among painters almost to despise the black and white man who drew for the press in any shape or form but that piece of affectation has nearly been destroyed by the general ridicule with which it is now received and by the knowledge that there are already at the end of the nineteenth century just as many men of talent working by methods suitable for reproduction as there are painters who confine their attention to palette canvas and brush the printer will now advance a step further and will invoke the services of the painter himself even prescribing certain methods of which the press may be enabled to reproduce the work of the artist more faithfully than would otherwise be possible transparency painting will no doubt be one of these methods the artist will paint on a set of sheets of transparent celluloid or glass mounted in frames of wood and hinged so that they can for purposes of observation be put aside and yet brought back to the original positions quite accurately each different transparent sheet will be intended for one pure color the only pigments used being of the most transparent description obtainable the picture may thus be built up by successive additions and alterations not all put upon one surface but constituting a number of monochromes superimposed one upon the other when finished each of these one color transparencies can then be reproduced by photomechanical means for multicolor printing in the press by what are known as the photographic interruption processes a kind of converse method has achieved a certain degree of success a landscape or a picture is photographed several times from exactly the same position but on each occasion it is taken through a screen of a different colored glass which is intended for the purpose of intercepting all the rays of light except those of one particular tint colored prints in transparent gelatin or other suitable medium are then made from the various negatives each in its appropriate tint and when all are placed together and viewed through transmitted light the effect of the picture with all its colors combined is fairly well produced more serviceable from the artistic point of view will be the method according to which the artist makes his picture by transmitted light but the finished printed product is seen on paper because this latter lends itself to the finest work of the artistic printer the principal branch of the work of the photographer must continue to be portraiture he cannot greatly reduce the cost of getting a really good negative because so much hand labor is required for the task of retouching but he can give perhaps a hundred prints for the price which he now charges for a dozen and make money by the enterprise it has already been proved that there is no necessity for using expensive salts of gold silver or platinum in order to secure the most artistic prints and as a matter of fact some of the finest artwork in the photography of the past quarter of a century has been accomplished with the cheapest of materials such as gelatin glue and lamp black pigmented gelatin is without doubt the coming medium for photographic prints and methods of making them must approximate more and more closely to those of the typographic printer by producing a photo relief in gelatin sensitized with bichromate of potash and afterwards exposed first to the sun and then to the action of water an impression in plastic material can be secured from which with the use of warm thin pigmented gelatin 
a hundred copies or more, can be printed off in a few minutes. The very general introduction of such a process has naturally been delayed owing to the extra trouble involved in the first methods which were suggested for applying it, and also, no doubt, on account of the recent fashion for platinotype and bromide of silver prints. But as soon as more convenient details for the making of pigmented gelatin prints have been elaborated, the cheapness of the material and the wonderful variety of the art shades and tints in which photographs can be executed will give the gelatin processes an advantage in the competition which it will be hopeless for other methods to challenge. The daily newspapers of a few years hence will be vividly illustrated with photographic pictures of the personages and the events of the day. The gelatin photorelief already alluded to will no doubt afford the basis of the principal processes by which this will be effected. Hitherto the chief drawback has been the difficulty of imparting a suitable grain to the printing blocks made from these reliefs, but this has been practically overcome by the use of sheets of metallic foil previously impressed with the form of a finely engraved tint block. The actual printing surface, of course, consists of an electrotype or stereotype taken from this metallic-grained photographic face. For high art printing on fine paper, with the more expensive kinds of ink, the half-tone zinco processes will doubtless maintain their supremacy and gradually diminish the area within which lithographic printing is required. In the case of newspaper work, however, where haste in getting ready for the press is necessarily the prime consideration, the flat and very slightly indented surface of the zinco block is found to be unsuited to the requirements. Flat blocks, which require careful overlaying on the machine, waste too much time for daily news work. Without going into technical details, it may be surmised, in general terms, that in the near future, almost every newspaper will contain, each day, one or more photo-illustrations of events of the previous day, or of the news which has come to hand from a distance. Typesetting by hand is, for newspaper purposes, being so rapidly superseded, that only in the smaller towns and villages can it remain for even a few years longer. But in the machines by which this revolution has been effected, finality has been by no means reached. Every line of matter which appears in any modern daily newspaper has to pass through two processes of stereotyping before it makes a beginning to effect its final work of printing upon paper. First, there is the stereotyping or casting of the line in its position in the typesetting machine after the matrices have been ranged in position by the application of the fingers to the various keys. And secondly, when all the lines have been placed together to make a page, it is necessary to take an impression of them upon paper mache, or what is technically called flong, and then to dry it and make the full cast from it, curved and ready for placing on the cylinder of the printing machine. The delay occasioned by the need for drying the wet flong is such a serious matter, particularly to evening newspapers requiring many editions during the afternoon, that several dry methods have been tried with greater or less success. But there is really no need for more than one casting process. In the twentieth century machine, the matrices will be replaced by permanent type, from which when ranged in the line, an impression will be made by hard pressure on a small bar of soft metal or plastic material. All the impressed bars, having been set together in a casting box, having the necessary curvature. The final stereoplate for printing from will be taken at once by pouring melted metal on the combined bars. 
An appreciable saving, both in time and in money, will also be effected by applying the principle of the perforated strip of paper or cardboard to the purpose of operating the machine, by which the necessary letters are caused to range themselves in the required order. Machines similar to typewriters will be employed for perforating the strips of paper and for printing. At the same time, in ordinary letters, the matter just as if it were being typewritten. The corrections can then be made by cutting off those pieces of the strips which are wrong and inserting corrected pieces in their places. No initial justification to the space required to make a line is needed in this system. The strips, however, are put through the setting machine, and as they make the reading matter by the impression of bars as already described, they are divided into lines automatically. Large numbers of newspapers will in future be sold from penny in the slot machines. The system to be adopted for this particular purpose will doubtless differ in some important respects from that which has been successful in the vending of small articles, such as sweetmeats and cigarettes. The newspapers may be hung on light bars within the machine, these being supported at the end by a carefully adjusted cross-piece, which on the insertion of a penny in the slot moves just sufficient to permit the end of one bar with its newspaper to drop, and to precipitate the latter onto a table forming the front of the machine. When the full complement of newspapers has been exhausted, the slot is automatically closed. Some of the newspapers of the twentieth century will be given away gratis, and will be, for the most part, owned by the principal advertisers. This is the direction in which journalistic property is now tending, and at any juncture steps might be taken in one or other of the great centers of newspaper enterprise, which would precipitate the ultimate movement. Hardly anyone who buys a halfpenny paper today imagines for a moment that there is any actual profit on the article. It is understood on all hands that the advertisers keep the newspapers going, and that the arrangement is mutually beneficial. Not that either party can dictate to the other in matters outside of its own province. The effect is simply to permit the great public to purchase its news practically for the price of the paper and ink on which it is conveyed. The condition being that the said public will permit its eyes to be greeted with certain announcements placed in juxtaposition to the news and comments. Sooner or later, therefore, the idea will occur to some of the leading advertisers to form a syndicate and give to the people a small broadsheet containing briefly the daily narrative. The ponderous newspapers of the latter end of the nineteenth century, filled full of enough linotype matter to occupy more than the whole day of the subscriber in their perusal, will be to a large extent dispensed with, and the new art of journalism will consist in saying things as briefly, not as lengthily, as possible. End of chapter 13